Chicanal Tribune, Friday, 15th of April, 2005. Kevy, Mickey and Norman. Kevin McCracken, Mickey Kearney and Norman Campbell are three names that won't be familiar to Tribune readers, but they were guys I grew up with on the streets of Torf Lodge in West Belfast. We didn't know it then in our first days as children in the sprawling, spanking new housing estate built beneath the Black Mountain on the edge of the city and next door neighbour to the already infamous Ballamurphy. But our lives would eventually be thrown into turmoil, fear, incarceration, untimely death and destruction within a few short years. The Turf Lodge estate, dubbed by some the Ponderosa after its TV programme at the time, was built to accommodate the growing nationalist community in inner, inner city Belfast like Kerry Hill and the Lower Falls. And the other three guys' families who come from these two up, two down, outside toilet Victorian style houses, whereas my parents, been country people who moved to the city just after World War II, had landed in the Loyalist Tiger Bay area for a period, but the homes were just the same. The new estate was an adventure for eight-year-old boys, just one big playground for the innocence of youth. As time went by, we all became friends and explored our new playground. In early 60s Belfast, there were no computers, playstations, mobile phones or karaoke DVDs, so a vivid imagination and a skill to improvise was definitely a requirement. In the absence of quads and high-powered bikes, we improvised to make up our own Belfast version of a Jordan speed machine, a guider, made up of two large pram wheels, a plank of wood, and two discarded ball burn wheels, requisitioned from the nearby Falls Park bus depot. The natural hilly streets of the turf were ideal for the gators, and little old ladies on the way to the shops for the soda farls and baps were in constant danger from budding shoemakers and mansells of all description. Of course, we got, as we got older, football became the consuming passion. But you won't find our version of the beautiful game, street football, in any of the glossy manuals. When you had no jerseys, no boots, no pitch, and indeed sometimes no ball, a tennis ball became a great substitute. Street football was the mecca. Sometimes 15 aside at a street corner, with the street, na- street names, signs as goals, Playing with your good shoes on and holes in the toes and your mag going to kill you when you got home. Or maybe a 20-a-side game at the top of the park with coaches, goalposts and the whole 40 racing to get through a hole in the fence to avoid the parky. A wee old man with a bad leg, still respect for any form of authority in those innocent days. The street football was a great training ground for aspiring footballers. And the lack of skillful players in England and Scotland today stand testimony to this. Despite all their academies, you definitely get the big strong athlete robots, but no Jingy Johnsons or Patsy Gallers anymore. We would play till midnight under the streetlights at our version of Parkhead or Old Trafford. Georgie Bass was God and the Beatles were cool, and we were oblivious to the Armageddon awaiting us. With simple tastes and different times, but at least there were no joyriders, glue sniffers, druggy bastards, rapists, or murderers of old people. As we turned into our teens, all the usual vices surfaced smoking, drinking, and girls. At first, none of these really appealed to us. Bestie was still God, 
but things do tend to change. Football, though, has become our great passion. And when another friend, Jimmy Bell, whose family came from Ballymacard and the loyalist east of the city, brought us to see his team, Glen Torn, we were hooked. The Glens were the big rivals of Linfield, who were just down the road from us on the other side of the M1, but we just couldn't support the Blues. Many happy days were spent in the middle of the equally loyalist Glens fans, but there was never any problem for us, except against Linfield. We were on a cross-community peace and reconciliation gig when it wasn't even politically correct to have one and get the grants. This was pre-1969 days in Northern Ireland. We're still in its honeymoon period with O'Neill and Lamaze shaking hands and Big Ian throwing snowballs. After 69 visits to the Oval, Glen Torrance Stadium were engulfing terms OB as normal life came to an end for just about everyone. Our football passions then were directed towards our spiritual home, paradise, not the ground close to us on Broadway, but of the legendary Belfast Celtic who left football because of the bigotry. But across the Irish Sea to Glasgow's each end and ironic East End, and ironically, our friends we left behind at the Oval transferred their affections to Govan and Ibrox. In a more serious and sinister sense, a lot of the guys we'd enjoyed the football with at the Oval would end up in the UDA and UVF, just as in our community, so many ended up in the Republican groups. The four of us would not have been inseparable friends, but at various varying times we'd all be together, or pairs or whatever. Fate just put us together in those formative years, and we shared all the experience of most kids. Just three little tales to illuminate the relationships. I recall several of us been caught by a school warden as we matched school, going AWOL to see a match. Going to the pictures another night with our first real dates and being so nervous the ice cream melting over the new shirt. Another occasion a few of us went to a party in the Ravenhill Road beside Paisley's church. Now this was in banded territory to us so we brought some protection. And Belfast protection had a different meaning to teenagers in 1970. The fear of some guys from the other side concentrated our minds more than the talent. Another day we wanted to go over to see Celtic play Dutch Giants Ajax, but had little money so we hitched the lift down to the ferry, but alas the ferries were in strike and Celtic got stuffed, not a good memory. The happy, carefree, wild teenage days soon give way to the serious, grown-up, grey adult times of the early 70s. Our estate, like most of Belfast, became a centre point in the popular uprising against the reactionary Stormont regime. And many young guys became embroiled in the violent urban guerrilla warfare which was played out in the streets of Turf Lodge, Ballymurphy and the Ardoin. I didn't really see that much of Mickey, Kevin and Norman after that as the conflict overtook our young lives and we embarked on our own way through it. The street football was soon replaced with street revolution and Bestie was replaced as God by Shea as the bright new streets of our estate and that mean city became as familiar to world TV viewers as the streets of Gaza or Fallujah are today. Nobody escaped the unfolding drama. Norman managed to stay away from everything crazy that was happening all around him he got a steady girlfriend, a steady job. He was good at woodwork and became a chippy. He always made the best gators. He was a hard worker and kept pigeons as a hobby and kept himself to himself. 
Mickey and Kevy's families live facing each other with their mothers, May and Rita, Doffers in the old mills and originally from Carrick Hill. Mickey eventually got married and had seven kids, but he also got involved with the ANLA and went to jail, like thousands more in West Belfast. After release and during the internal fragmentation and internecine feuds between rival power-hungry factions in that organisation, when they butchered and slaughtered each other, Mickey was killed by fellow Irish men not far from his home as he tried to visit his wife, who was pregnant with another son who would never see his dad. Kevy I saw a little more of in the later years as he would eventually become my brother-in-law. He became involved in Republican resistance and ended up in the infamous H-blocks to spend nine years, four of them naked except for the blanket, with walls smeared with excrement and no visits during the period leading up to the hunger strikes. On release, he spent a short while in the freedom of Termin with us and enjoyed gathering the turf in the devil and bog at Glenvay and just been free. Unfortunately, two years later, as the Gibraltar three were being brought home to Belfast, a foreign soldier in Irish soil put five bullets in his back as he tried to evade capture. He was murdered just yards from his mother's house in streets where he grew up and played football and worked and danced and got drunk killed by a foreign soldier who really had no right to be in that turf lodge street that night. As for Norman, well Norman really never did get involved with the paramilitary groups. He just got on with his life, his work, his girlfriend, his pigeons and lived with his mum. One day in the mid 70s as he worked on a building site in the lower shankle, a loyalist gunman shot him six times in the head and left his broken-hearted mother and sisters to mourn a son who they thought had avoided the madness until that awful day. Kevy, Norman and Mickey Lyon Milltown Cemetery, murdered by British soldiers, loyalists and so-called Republicans respectively. The short lives were abruptly ended in tragic circumstances. As we sat on a wall in 1968 near the Turf Lodge flats and pondered what the future held, we could never have foreseen the horrific times that lay ahead. Not many days go by when I don't think about one of the boys. There but for the grace of God go I.